Okay, great. So what I'll do is just a very brief update a little bit about Africa. Um, I will try to convince you that Africans are blockchain intuitive for three reasons. So there's none of these explanations and convincing and pulling teeth and coming up with all these, you know, uh, uh, metaphors of it's a vending machine. It's like, I don't know what, the software of trust or all these kind of things. They get it. Uh, they understand the connection between mental health, physical health, and financial health, which is something that the U.S. health system completely ignores, completely ignores. And so the business model in all excludes patients, and therefore they are a detached stakeholder from the economic environment. And uh, 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 the importance of having a bi-directional relationship where we not only just send our stuff, but actually we start and take their stuff. And one of our companies, for example, just uh, contracted with the NHS. And at the end, hopefully convince you that blockchain is impact and impact is blockchain. So Africa is huge, it's young. I'm like super old. In general, I'm old, you know, when I sit in New York with all the crypto anarchists, I'm like the oldest in the room. But in Africa, it was like, are you still alive? So they're like younger than 20. Uh, the mobile penetration that one of the speakers before me mentioned is super important. We're talking over lunch. I was saying, do you have a phone? I asked him, do you have a phone? And then like, just one. We have three, right? One for business, one uh, 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 private, and one for crypto and the mistress. So, so that's what they're having. Obviously, their major D GDP comes out of agribiz. So again, agriculture is very important. So the micro, small to medium size uh, uh, enterprises. And so it's a little bit false to do the B2B, B2C, because every C is a B. Everyone's a business. And so we can see that already distributed nature of a C to C to C to C to C. They are naturally decentralized. It is important to understand the nature of the sovereign debt and the societal debt that is structured. It is not inherent. Africa is rich. Africans are poor because it's structured in a way that other countries extract that to their benefit. And this goes not just in cases of money, but also if you want carbon footprint, the effect of climate, and so on. The, the, they pay high costs on remittances from centralized entities, so that is why it's important for them to liberate themselves in a peer-to-peer -peer network. Because when I, we do it peer-to-peer, there's less fees, there's less friction, less capital leakage, and more stays in everybody's pockets. So you can't speak of Africa as a thing, and no, Kenya is not the capital of Africa. There are, there are multiple countries there, and I am fortunate to speak Arabic, French, and English, and I have to admit that I'm still working on my Kiswahili, but these are very distinct economic regions of around 400 to 600 million people in each economic region. And uh, uh, since the creation of the free trade agreement, the movement, the trans-border transactions, have become way easier than what we could imagine. You can see that it's a startup continent, and 
everything is interconnected. Fintech, of course, a huge uh, uh, importance. Uh, Agribiz, some enterprise, because we do have multinationals that are in uh, most capitals of the states uh, in Africa. Health tech is important and growing in importance because of now COVID and more pandemics coming on. And um, I will say in parenthesis, because that could be a whole talk in itself, how Africa dealt so much better with COVID than most of us. Logitech and EdTech, of course, are also important. You can see the market growth. The market growth is exceptional. Maybe in a separate talk, I can explain why in Latin America it looks different. But there is a huge difference in, in how uh, um, economies are structured that causes this differentiation. And there are, of course, sunicorns, some of them uh, I work with, that are on this wave of investment that is coming into the continent. Now, the first reason why Africans are blockchain intuitive is because they don't trust anybody. Okay? Nobody's sitting there in their room saying, oh, look at me, I'm making $5 a day. Let me wait for a check coming from the central government for another $5. There is an inherent trustlessness that makes and creates a sense of self-agency. Now, you might say that these numbers are horrible, but actually when you go back to 2016, the United States was way, way yellow and Africa was dark red. So we're actually seeing a movement that is opposite. And it's important to understand that and understand the resistance of why centralized authorities are not extremely interested in the technical developments that blockchain brings to the table and the transparent governance that DAOs can bring in. So we're not gonna have a time to talk about nation states and network states. I'm sure that some of you read Balaji's book, and if you haven't, I recommend to, to look at it. But Africa has inherent trustlessness of it's all business, but it's transparent and it's peer-to-peer. The, the threshold to enter business is way lower than it used to be, in some places even free. And you can see that the intensive, capital intensive, structure int intensive need for universities is not replicated in Africa. These are their universities, the innovation hubs. All these places that, that, that incubate, that accelerate, that chaperone, just like we do at Impact Rooms, all these companies, these are the de facto universities where we have people that come in, and for example, an Africa Blockchain Center that are not just uh, uh, individuals out there that want to learn about trading or mining or validating or about uh, uh, um, uh, how to code in Solidity, but also learn uh, 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 um, how to integrate that in wherever they come from, from telecom, from banking, from energy. And so the trajectory that I had that started about, I want to say four years ago, three and a half years ago on the heels of Ebola and before COVID started, and actually I came to the States and a week later, uh, 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 COVID started, and I always think that if I would stay a week more, I would still be in this beautiful island near Zanzibar. But the point being that the journey that I had with them represents that holistic view 
that they embrace in their uh, uh, building of infrastructure. So from health off your record to universal patient portals to lending to women empowerment to African Center of Excellence and the African Blockchain Center. They understand digital money. I love this idea of local currencies. So you actually come into villages and it's geofenced, which means that when you leave the village, it doesn't work anymore. So if I make $100 a month, I give $100 worth of Alex coins. And with these Alex coins, I can perform electronic bartering, saving my fiat and my cash is trash for things like healthcare, education, and so forth that I cannot do with this electronic bartering. So they love their local currencies. They've been doing this with M-Pesa for 12 years. Regulation is getting way better, and this is changing. I already since then changed Windhoek in Namibia, now said that actually went through. Central African Republic allows Bitcoin to be a legal tender. So it's not surprising that the three of the top 10 utilizers are in Africa. And so it's not a hedge against inflation, which everybody points out here in the US saying, oh, you see, you're wrong, blah, blah, blah. It's against hyperinflation. Because even with forced volatility by macroeconomics, it is still better than what happens in Turkey, in Venezuela, and in Argentina. This is a long list to show you the richness of uh, uh, the types of, this is all healthcare and blockchain in Africa where they work in Africa for Africans, by Africans, they prioritize the rural areas, they mainstream with partnership. I don't know what happened. And so maybe... Uh, and so you can see that it is... So there are numbers, there are numbers. Uh, the adoption rate, uh, uh, the highest one is in Kenya, which is 15% of the population, then followed by Nigeria, which is 12%. But in terms of blockchain know-how, that is way higher. You have at least half, if not more, than the population. If you talk to people about, they have different names. If you talk in Nigeria about Bitmama, if you talk in, in in uh, Ghana about Bitmani, if you talk about, you know, different places have different names to it. But again, it's not a stretch from M-Pesa. Thank you so much. So next slide. It's really all about capacity development. And so when companies come to me and say, Alex, could you introduce me to the minister of, or could you introduce me to the governor of, I say, are you planning to invest in developing capacity. Will this bring jobs? Will this bring knowledge? And if the answer is no, then I say, no, thank you. They had enough techno-colonialism in their life. Okay, so the idea is to help them build their own infrastructure. Next. And here to show that they're really not only 
uh, in, within the state, but within the regions, and like I mentioned, also international. So there's a lot of connection of exporting African technology to Latin America because the understanding and the needs are similar. We're not talking about problems of the worried well or how can I invent a juicer for $800 when I can actually squeeze a lemon with my own hand. And, and at the end, all what I want to say is that, and I wrote a post on it in LinkedIn, you know, blockchain is better, you know, like bacon, block, everything's better with blockchain. Then I got, you know, a couple of remarks from, well, I'm a vegan, so I so like broccoli, I don't know, it's better than, but the, the point being that the, all the tools that you have built, the, 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 the DAO, the decentralized clinical trial management, and just so we be sure, okay, what everybody calls decentralized CTMS, it's not. If it doesn't have blockchain, it ain't decentralized. So all these, you know, I have a, a webcam, telehealth, as if, you know, that's the best thing that was, you know, uh, invented in the last two years, that's not decentralized. So using that, supply chain, which we had multiple talks about, tokenization, so for those who know me, the idea of incentivizing behavior by transforming patients from being health service consumers to health and thanks to blockchain also wealth producers. That is really the key. Our business model in the US is very simple. It's based on consumption, every pill for every ill, every test for every pest. And so it's, 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 it's the more I consume, the better it is. So as a pain doctor, if I would just talk to a patient, they would leave. My CFO would look at me and say, are you crazy? Where's the pump? Where's the stim? Where's the opioids? Where are the patches? Where are all the things? So, so we need to transform to be, uh, to, for him to, to be uh, wealth producers and also stop the data symmetry because I know where all the toilet paper and hand sanitizers are hiding. We need to teach, export dimension. And so think of me in the middle of the three, emerging technologies, emerging markets, and emerging business models. We can incorporate all the three. Think about, think about the DeFi elements and think about how you can decentralize your finances because if you're not thinking about it, you're only going partial. And so a new dawn is rising. Asante sana, thank you very much.